Tiago Alonso de Oliveira is the CEO of JHSF, the leading company when it comes to the high-income real estate industry in Brazil. Founded in 1972, the company today has an impressive portfolio of malls like Shopping Cidade de Jardim in Latin America's largest city, Sao Paulo, to luxury real estate developments such as Fazenda de Boa Vista. They also boast their very own executive aviation facility, Sao Paulo Catarina Executive International Airport. De Oliveira joined me from Sao Paulo to offer his take about the real estate industry in Brazil. I'm Tyler Brulé in Zurich, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle Radio. Tiago, very good to speak to you. I thought we should start broad. We're speaking to you in Brazil. Uh, you're at uh, one of your airports. And maybe we sort of launch on a bit of a macro level. We are out of a pandemic right now, new government in Brazil. How are you feeling as a business leader, business owner, and of course, someone who represents, for many, one of the most interesting retail players in Latin America? Well, I think that we learned a lot through the deepest years on pandemic, and we are ending this cycle much stronger and bigger than we entered. So we are facing the coming years that will bring additional growth opportunities for us, and more important, with the company and our team more concentrated into delivering quality of life to our clients. So we we think that the lessons learned made us stronger than uh, how we were before. You're quite a unique operation because anyone, of course, who's familiar with your operations, that might be someone who checks in as a guest into one of the hotel properties you own. They, of course, might uh, be an owner uh, on, on, of course, one of your estates. They might be a tenant in, in one of your malls. You mentioned the word quality of life, and there is you're very unique in this very focused concentration on on all that is that is premium. And if I think about the first time that I visited one of your hotels, the first time that, of course, that I I went to your malls in Sao Paulo, it was a unique time. And I'm talking probably, I guess, a decade ago. This was this golden moment in Brazil. Everyone was flocking to Brazil. There was extraordinary energy. And of course, for a variety of reasons, we know that things change. How do you feel looking out across the horizon right now, just as, of course, a retailer property owner and many other things, your take on on the market? Because, of course, Brazil being one of the world's biggest economies, I think everyone is sort of almost rooting for the place to, to make this comeback. Well, definitely. We define ourselves as a company that works on luxury lifestyle for clients. So uh, in that sense, all the measures uh, and the decisions that we are taking, they are putting client first. And alongside with client being first, we also committed as providers of uh, retail or hospitality, gastronomy, any of our products, that quality and excellence has to come alongside in order to deliver to the client and his or her family improvement in terms of quality of life. So this is the mindset of the company that is really different than the bulk of the other players that are in the market right now. So we think long-term, we play hard to deliver quality, and we are committed to improve 
the standards of our clients. If I may summarize, those are the three key elements that on the day-to-day -day of the company are representing most of the difference that, that we are doing. So when we think about cycles, and you referred to maybe 10 or 15 years ago, what I can say is that we just improved from there. We grew the size of our operations, uh, uh, regardless of the, the business units that we are taking care. And over time, that luxury lifestyle became something more connected through JHSF than how it was 15 years ago. So we're at, of course, a transition point. If you look out across the, the next year ahead, the next two year heads, and maybe we'll come back to new projects and things that you're working on. What's your take on the sentiment and the mood in, in the market? How is the Brazilian consumer feeling? And are you also feeling and seeing a return of, of international clients as well? Well, first, international clients is not a big portion, and if I may say, is not uh, that much relevant uh, for Brazil, different than uh, other countries uh, in the world. So for a lot of the things that we do in Brazil is mostly uh, for Brazilians. In that sense, we are experimenting a period that the, the fulfillment that our clients are living through the recent delivered projects from the company positioned ourselves as the company that they go to when they are looking to the places where they want to live, uh, connected to the consumption solutions for their day-to-day -day necessities, as well as how they are getting entertaining and in some cases also how they are traveling. And so we were able to build uh, 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 the connections on very elementary things of the day-to-day -day of uh, our clients, meaning housing, consumption, entertainment, and travel. Tiago, maybe tell us a little bit about the mindset of the, the Brazilian consumer these days, because as, as you said, you could look back 10, 15 years ago, of course, even today as well, uh, you come across a lot of your core customers all over the world, the high spending Brazilians that every hotelier loves, of course, every luxury goods shop owner loves to see them arriving. But what's interesting is because if I think about it in a mall context, you have a lot of international brands, which largely think about the same type of consumer all over the world who wants to buy good footwear, they want to buy a lovely suit, they want to buy a great handbag. But if you think about the peculiarities or the particularities of a Brazilian customer versus an American, versus French, versus Japanese, what are the expectations? Um, what do you have to deliver to a Brazilian consumer, which you think is probably different than maybe someone who's shopping in Bal Harbor or who's, uh, who, who might be shop shopping in Saint-Germain in Paris? I think that what makes our services standards different is warmth. So when, when we introduced our hotel in New York, most of the feedbacks that we received was uh, a positive surprise in terms of the warmth of our personnel. The same uh, feedback we receive when we, when we host in Brazil foreigners traveling to Brazil for the first time. This is very peculiar about Brazilians. In terms of mood, if I may say, I think that over time, our clients, Brazilian clients, they have realized that 
part of their value recognition is not connected to a to the brand per se, but is connected to a certain store or or even closer than this to a certain salesperson at a certain store from a certain brand. So that connection, that relationship using the sales personnel as a kind of an ambassador for the brand to the client and how that connection between the brand and the client can open doors for more selective products that are not openly available to all the clients. And this is very specific for luxury. Absolutely. And I think as as you've highlighted, people who've spent time in your environments or other premium luxury environments uh, in Sao Paulo, in Rio, elsewhere, in Brazil, I think certainly recognize that connection that occurs with with service, etc. Just maybe a side question: Was that complicated though to deliver to New York? You know, unless you sort of have you, you fly a, a plane load of Brazilians up to New York, it's a bit complicated to repeat the Fasano model. Or were you able to hire enough Brazilians in New York to deliver what was needed? It's a combination of uh, maybe three factors. We sent uh, some experienced people from Brazil to live in New York and to help to settle the culture of the business into this uh, recently opened project. We were able also to hire people living there that are non-Brazilians, and we did it because we recognized it on them the same values as we have in terms of the, the commitment to the client quality, all the elements that I have already expressed at the the beginning of this conversation. So we felt comfortable about connecting them to the project. And sometimes when we have some, I'll say, open positions here and there, we may fulfill with a temporary Brazilians going there. But this is very, very rare at this moment. A little bit later, I want to talk about, uh, of course, the expansion on the hotel front. It's kind of remarkable to see what is, it's been such a, a loved brand. I mean, if you think of all the places that people can go venture out to all over South America, it's amazing how many people, yeah, just clock the work that you did with your collaborators in Sao Paulo, the way the Fasano brand has really become a benchmark, of course, for hospitality on so many levels, you know, in a global capacity. But before we go and, and talk about uh, how, how that expands, I'm curious about how does the company, I guess, work on a design narrative, design language? There is something which is really sort of infused in part by the, the architects, the interior designers that you work with, where there's a strong signature. You could almost venture into a property and know that it's almost part of your group. Does that come from you? Is it a creative team? But I think it's quite rare in the real estate world oftentimes to to see such a strong signature. And and I'm wondering where that comes from. Actually, this uh, comes from a very simple thing. Part of uh, the long-term relationship uh, build-up process with clients, it starts with your signature. It starts with uh, the respect that we have to have with uh, core values of the brands that we manage. So keeping that th- uh, those things separated and not trying to standardize things is a key element of this recognition that you just referred to. 
So we are very intensive in terms of connecting during the creative part of the process with uh, architects in terms of uh, briefing them about our desires, our expectations, and also on the positive experiences that we had with a certain elements of the design. And so this is, at the end of the day, a process of improvement and not a rupture or a disruption for any new project. And this is what brings, as you said, that perception that you, you understand who was the developer behind that specific project. When you look around Sao Paulo uh, right now and, and you survey perhaps the gaps, uh, the opportunities in the market, what, what are you seeing? What does the, the consumer want? Because on one side, yeah, you only have to look north and we see a huge reinvention of the shopping mall uh, going on in the United States. On one side, a lot of malls closing down forever. And then on the flip side, of course, just constant reinvention and iconic places like Bal Harbor, of course, expanding, reinventing themselves. But again, I come back to the unique position and, and interesting, I think also this this community role, this sort of defining role that the mall plays, particularly in Sao Paulo more than anything else. What has to happen right now? Are you feeling comfortable uh, with the role that you fulfill? Or are there are some things you're saying, look, we have to do this and, and we can even push further in terms of what our offer is within a shopping mall retail environment? It's for us a, a very simple process. We think where our clients live, uh, where our clients spend their time. When we get to, to the answer for this question, the next one that will come is, are we present there or not? Every time that we are not there, we see an opportunity of organizing a commercial space and to bring, to be part of that space, brands with whom uh, we have already established the connections that we are the company in Brazil capable of uh, connecting also those brands with ultra high net worth individuals. So I'll say this is a positive synergy that we are creating with brands to fulfill the needs of the same kind of clients. So it's it's very common now for us when we we start drawing a new shopping mall project that we engage very early with a lot of the brands with whom we are partners to, to say, look, we are thinking on this neighborhood. This is going to be a mall with the this kind of characteristics. And we start getting very early engagements uh, from them to be part of those spaces. So uh, again, when we put client first, we reduce a lot the commercial execution risks, not only for us, but also for our commercial partners. Tiago, tell me, let's say you're traveling, uh, you're in, let's pick a market, you go to Geneva, you're in Milan, and you come across a brand and you think this is absolutely right, you've got a new development, you want to attract them. And that brand says, look, we would love to be in Brazil, Tiago, we're just not ready yet. And do you enter into a dialogue, and I guess what I'm getting at, also 
offer support for those brands if it's if it's something you really think is going to work, but also the brand's just maybe not ready to invest in that region? Do you develop yeah more more unique partnerships, uh, let, let's say, to make sure that you've got the right offer? Absolutely, and this is uh, this is exactly how the, the way you describe it is how we built from scratch our retail business. At the present, we are operating nearly 20 premium international brands in Brazil. And the process is, is exactly as you described it. We approached them, we said, you know, there is an opportunity for you in our home market, come down to see with us. Some of them decided to come by their own means. Some others, they decide to say, look, I see the opportunity there, but I'm not so prepared at this moment to tackle Brazil. So uh, in situations like the second I described, we enter into uh, a a commercial agreement with those brands and we start operating uh, their stores uh, in Brazil. And over time, this has happened several times, the brand definitely recognizes the potential of the Brazilian market and decides to get back, I would say, the the control of the operations in Brazil. And we have no problems in in giving back to the proper brand, the local operation. At the end of the day, we feel happy because we did a good job for consumers by bringing more options for them. And at the same time, we helped the brand to grow their business. So if we see continuity of this process, we have no problem in returning the operation to the brand. I'm curious if we flip it around the the other way. I was in the US recently and was talking retail and talking real estate and, and certainly at the luxury end of the market. And it's been fascinating to see how there's been a shift to the South, uh, that a lot of people are scratching their heads a little bit about New York. People are a little bit negative on San Francisco at the moment, not so thrilled about what's happening in LA, but a lot of energy in Miami, a lot of energy in Dallas, Houston, and then other emerging cities, Austin and Charlotte and Nashville, Atlanta. Uh, So this this sort of general excitement about cities that maybe you wouldn't have put it as really sort of the top of the league table when you thought about markets to open a luxury goods store. If we look to Brazil, of course, always a focus on Sao Paulo and and Rio. Do you also see the emergence of of other cities now where potentially, or or once upon a time, you wouldn't have seen luxury labels, uh, but the same market conditions uh, are moving in a direction to allow more premium players in in other Brazilian cities? Definitely, yes. The big uh, hurdle here is how big those cities will be in terms of a consumption base to to make new stores profitable at those cities. Brazil different than uh, than the US, uh, and I'm u- using US as you have used it as a reference. Uh, things are more concentrated in Brazil. Uh, we have uh, cities. I mean, the large cities in Brazil usually they are larger than average uh, when compared to to the US. And we are more concentrated in terms of wealth in Brazil in the in the southeast uh, of the country, meaning that uh, the the way for us to manage the business in Brazil has to be different than the way that uh, a company like ours would uh, operate in a more diversified country 
as the US or uh, as a region uh, uh, as as Europe. So less with, with less stores, you can cover more of the 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 market demand. Absolutely, and and it's interesting. I guess that has probably been the traditional model. I can remember us doing a monocle event in uh, in Sao Paulo and. It was fascinating uh, how many of our readers that you know then flew in from Curitiba, who flew in from Florianopolis, who flew in from Belo Horizonte, etc. Yeah, be, and because it, it's also just part of their habit as a premium customer that they that they come to Sao Paulo to to go shopping, to yeah maybe experience new restaurants, uh, etc. But it's interesting to to say that there there might be conditions. If you had to pick some cities for people who are listening, uh, what do you see as the as that maybe the the next three three, four, and five cities after Rio, Sao Paulo, where do you think the energy is? I think that we have energy in this center uh, of Brazil where we have most of the agribusiness happening right now. Belo Horizonte is an uh, is, uh, interesting city in terms of uh, wealth as well. And it's hard to think uh, on, a, on a third region. In terms of... Uh, addressable market, if I can go a few steps uh, back, the addressable market for ultra high networks in Brazil is approximately half a million people. We are talking approximately 0.2% of the Brazilian population. And nearly 60% of that population lives in Sao Paulo, meaning that 200,000 wealthy Brazilians, they don't live in Sao Paulo. So in order to touch those clients, it's very complicated because Brazil is a very large country. It's as big as the U.S. land-wise. But with that much of concentration in Sao Paulo, we can, and also with the travel to Sao Paulo from people living on those other cities, it's much easier to, to grow the business strongly based in Sao Paulo than trying to diversify and having less productive uh, projects outside of Sao Paulo. And then I guess when you say outside of Sao Paulo, we're talking outside of uh, within a Brazil context because uh, the other side of your business, your, of course, partnership uh, around the Fasano brand, you touched on New York. I believe Miami is on the horizon. I think I, I saw where the uh, the construction is, uh, is is taking place. How much is JHSF looking internationally, though, as well uh, as as part of your portfolio, but also as part of the expertise that you have in delivering globally unique hospitality and and retail, and as you said, also increasingly living experiences as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, uh, Abroad of Brazil, we are seeing very exciting uh, opportunities. Miami is is already in our pipeline to be open by 2024. We recently acquired a hotel there. We are retrofitting uh, the interior. We are preparing much bigger and more comfortable suites than the, the original property that was acquired there. But there are other cities in our radar screen, some of them in Europe, and we are starting to see also opportunities uh, in the Middle East. So with the New York experience, where we are having uh, 80 plus percent of our guests being non-Brazilians, we are being exposed 
to this new clientele base and they are also sending us some attractive opportunities on their home countries for us to take a closer look. And we are in the process of getting closer to some of them. Finally, just before we go, you you, uh, you brought up Europe, and I can't help but thinking when I was uh, in uh, Lisbon, and suddenly just, of course, there's always been uh, Brazilians present in Portugal for all of the obvious reasons, uh, but now you really feel that there is a lot of Brazilian wealth there. Uh, and of course, there are some very good hotels, but... Um, could Portugal be a first uh, stopping point for JHSF in Europe, given all the the different things that are going on there? But particularly this, when you talk about a concentration of wealth at a global level, an area that you uh, that you might be looking at. You'll be surprised with my answer being no, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, we we are seeing much more opportunities in other countries that are less dependent on wealth Brazilians than necessarily in Portugal. I'm not saying that there are no opportunities in Portugal, but are much better opportunities in other countries where we can serve a wider spectrum of nationalities other than Brazilians. And just to just last question, we've caught you uh, at uh, your airport, which is an interesting and obvious venture in many ways, just knowing, of course, uh, as you talked about the great uh, geography, the great expanse of, of Brazil, and, and knowing how wealthy Brazilians need to, to crisscross the country. Uh, and this is, the, this is your Catarina executive airport as well. Uh, do you see this is something which continues? Uh, you're encouraged by sort of the power as to how this has worked. As you said, you can't replicate this everywhere. But I do know people who have experienced it as well, and I'm thinking internationally, have just said it's such a, yeah, a, a superior experience when it comes to, to private aviation. Uh, so I'm wondering if this is also potentially something that goes beyond, well, maybe the one that you've done and, and maybe to others? Yeah, no, definitely. Just a brief, a brief overview on this. Uh, Brazil has the second largest uh, fleet for private aviation in the world, just uh, behind the US. And uh, we saw on that size of the market and the, and the low level of quality being offered to those uh, jet owners, a opportunity to raise the bar and to deliver to them a much better quality for their flights, starting from the security of the airport, going through all the amenities, all the services that we can put all together to give to those families a much greater experience than what they were receiving before. Over time, the airport became international. We started to receive travelers uh, from abroad. We became a gateway for the business community in Brazil. Uh, and part of what we are looking in terms of international expansion for the company is to replicate partially what uh, we do for the Sao Paulo Catarina Executive Airport, meaning the FBO operations that we are mastering here is something that we want to expand into other global cities where the the executive aviation has been separated from the commercial aviation. So cities like London, Paris, uh, New York, Miami, and I'm, I'm going to stop here, they have already built their own airports for private aviation. And the experience there is far below 
what we are offering here. So we are seeing the we are seeing opportunities on cities like those to expand our business as well. My thanks to Tiago Alonso de Oliveira, CEO of Real Estate Group, JHSF. This episode of The Chiefs was produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and recorded by Desiree Bendley. I'm Tyler Brulé. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>